Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. But if this car drives itself, aren't we all backseat drivers? Oh, such an existential question. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, about to geek out about brain science, your mechanic. Well, listener, you're still in the driver's seat, but are you really driving? Today's quote is most commonly attributed to Lao Tzu. Watch your thoughts. They become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Last week we talked about divorce rates, reasons for divorce, and ways to save a marriage. This week we're talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT. I have no idea what this is. What is it? So, Cognitive behavioral therapy focuses on challenging and changing unhelpful cognitive distortions. I can't imagine what helpful cognitive distortions would be. (laughs) And unhelpful behaviors, improving emotional regulation and the development of personal coping strategies that target solving current problems. So what does that mean? I was about to ask. (laughs) Gentle listener, I want you to picture in your mind an equilateral triangle at the top of the triangle, which is the, you know, it looks like a pyramid, right? Write the word behavior. At the left-hand corner, write <laughs> affect or emotions. And at the left-hand corner, write... We just did the left-hand... Oh, at the right-hand corner, write cognitions or beliefs. All right? So these are your thoughts. Now, I want you to draw a squiggly line just under the apex of this triangle, uh, right underneath behavior. That squiggly line shows the sea level, and above sea level, we see behavior. Below sea level is the affect and the thought. So when I'm interacting with somebody else, all they can ever see from me is how I am behaving, but they don't know what I'm thinking and feeling behind that behavior that drives that behavior. Is this sort of a uh, is this sort of an iceberg? Yes, metaphor yes, like situation. Yeah. That's what yes. I was about to say. Yeah, that's I got it. it. Look at me. I learned. <laughs> And like the Titanic, many relationships run into this iceberg. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Womp, womp. (laughs) So all we ever see is behavior. And one of the challenges is because we attribute thoughts and feelings to someone else's behavior. We guess at what their thoughts and feelings are. And that guess is often not completely correct. We talked about this a little bit with the driving in traffic and being cut off. Yes. And attributing Mm -hmm. someone's thoughts to their behavior. Right. So cognitive behavioral therapy attempts to go below the surface of the behavior and look at what's driving it with your belief systems and your emotional components. Okay. So that's what CBT is. I think I got it. Kim, you said there's some brain science stuff going on. What is that about? Yeah. Okay. So... Brains. If you put your hand in a fist, kind of, and you wrap your thumb inside, so a bad fist, a a very bad fist, you're not going to punch punch anyone with this. It's your brain. Why is my thumb inside my brain? 
Well, You'll find out. So Ooh. the parts of your hand that are covering your thumb, oh, I'm supposed to start with the brainstem, which is your forearm and your wrist. This is your brainstem. It connects down into your spinal cord. Very exciting things. All that jazz. Yes, Ben, your bicep is your body. Hmm. It's important because all of our sensory data comes in through this brainstem. Correct. Okay. All right. Brainstem, brain, thumb inside. Yes. The part that is wrapped over your thumb is your cortex. So this is your higher level thinking, your communication, the thing that makes us human, so to speak. So animals don't tend to have cortex abilities. Or at least not as large. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yes. Toast does not have a very large cortex. I don't know. I'm suspicious. I think we should study her brain. So the brainstem is your reptilian brain. The portion of your brain where your thumb is in this diagram is your mammalian brain, the oh. middle brain. And it's what's in control of your sympathetic nervous system, which is your uh, fight, flight, or freeze responses, basically. There are three main things that I'm going to talk about in regards to CBT and anxiety specifically, just because that's what I got trained in recently. In the midbrain, you have the thalamus and the amygdala. So the thalamus is what takes all of the information from your reptilian brain, the sensory stuff, and sends it to the appropriate sections of your brain. So the thalamus, think of it as a filter, and it takes in all of your sensory stuff and it throws it across your brain to all of the important parts that will then send information to the rest of your body. Okay, got, got it. it. Cool. The amygdala is a small portion of your brain that is near-ish the thalamus. And it is responsible for emotional responses. So that fight, flight, or freeze, that's your amygdala. And it is really, 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 really sensitive to many things. <laughs> And both of these are in the middle brain part. Correct. Which is the mammalian brain. Correct. Is that the technical term or is that part of the metaphor? That's a metaphor. Yeah. Okay. It's just cool. kind of looking at the development of brains and yeah. across different species, what brain parts are most prominent. Got it. So that's the amygdala. And again, direct response, or sorry, direct route to emotional responses such as fight, flight, or freeze. Now, going back to this, the part that's wrapped over your thumb is the cortex, which is your higher functioning, your reasoning, and also something that really likes to throw your brain for a loop because it likes to ruminate and have problems with anxious thinking. Wait, so you just said that part of my brain is throwing my brain for a loop. <laughs> so it looped itself. It did. And now my brain is looped. Correct. Your, okay. your brain can get messy when you start to feel anxious. The prefrontal cortex, which is not quite the frontal cortex, is the thing that's in charge of your executive functioning, your impulse control, your attention, problem solving, stuff like that. Solid. And this is part of the cortex? It is. It is part of the cortex, but it's not the very front of your cortex, which is the logic part of things, right? That's right. So your prefrontal yeah. okay. cortex sits in front of your, your temples and above your eyes. And that is the part that does all the executive functioning. So planning, attention, decision-making, all of that occurs up there. Okay. And Got it is it. a sub part of the overall cortex, Correct. which is wrapped around the mammalian brain, which handles the 
reactions to things that it gets from the reptilian brain, which is mm-hmm. the brainstem. Very good. I know the brain now. Or at least parts of it. And this is a very simplistic overview of the brain and the important parts with the specifically the anxiety. So there is also a concept called neuroplasticity, which is the idea that your brain doesn't have to function in one specific way. And you can learn to change the functions and change the way your brain views things. This is sort of a uh, biohacking situation. Correct. It is a biohacking of your thoughts. Within all of this, we're going to start with the amygdala, which is, again, in charge of that fight, flight, or freeze. And there are a bunch of different ways that you can biohack your amygdala so that it doesn't have that anxiety or that spark response that makes you feel all sorts of ways. Examples of this are deep breathing, Uh, which taps into the vagus nerve, which is the longest cranial nerve in your body. It's the last nerve that people get on. But um, Uh, aerobic (laughs) exercise, which it's been proven uh, by Jonsgaard in 2004 that after only 20 minutes of exercise, there's a decrease in anxiety that has been measured. It also produces serotonin that makes the amygdala less active. And that's by... Brock's and colleagues in 2001, and then again by Greenwood and their colleagues in 2012. Um, both of those have to do with breathing. Yes. And I think that's interesting. Well, again, that's connected to your vagus nerve, which in turn responds to your amygdala and soothes, right? So this is about soothing your body system. But if you've had a stimulus that's causing anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. And that goes... Does that also go on your vagus nerve that goes through the brainstem to the amygdala and you have an anxiety response and then you are doing deep breathing to stimulate, to provide a different stimulus to the vagus nerve, I suppose, that goes back to the amygdala and says, calm down. Yes. Okay. So other things that also encourage breathing like yoga, that's another version of this soothing of the vagus nerve. And another tool that is used is exposure therapy, which is that slow exposure to different anxious experiences. So if someone has an extreme phobia of spiders, talking about spiders would be the first step. And then maybe looking at a picture of a spider, seeing a spider in real life, and eventually having a spider touch you, all of these different things are forms of exposure therapy. Now, in I have questions about exposure therapy. Yeah. This seems like it would work, mm-hmm. but is it is it good? Is it a good idea? I mean, I guess like a, the spider is not very dangerous uh, unless it's a poisonous spider. Well, and I'm- if you have an extreme phobia to the point where you can't even like talk about a spider, it's probably worth. And I know there are better examples where it's like it, you really need to get over this thing to like exist. In Flying the world. is a good one, yeah. But what is sort of the balance here between? Exposure therapy and like avoidance, (laughs) avoiding the thing. Well, it's looking at does it interrupt with your life and is it something that you want to change? So I'm absolutely horrified by mascots. Do I want to change this? Do I need to change this? No, not really. If I was an executive and required to fly a lot and I was terrified of flying, yes, that is something that I would need to change. For a second, I thought you were going to stick with the mascots and tell us some crazy story about how mascots are always flying. I was like, where is this going? Not quite. 
Um, and if I was an executive and I had to be on a plane full of mascots, <laughs> then yes. <laughs> that, then yes, I would have to get over it. No, that oh, sounds that sounds horrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> She's going to have a nightmare tonight. No, I'll be good. Um, this is the first step to your exposure therapy for mascots. No, no, thank you. We don't or need to being an executive. I don't know. Uh, who knows? Anyway, so exposure therapy is the process of reducing that amygdala response. Cool. Through iteration and incremental exposure. exposure. Back to the whole brain and the two main pathways to anxiety. You have the bottom-up version of anxiety. So that is the thalamus that then links the perception to the amygdala and you have an emotional reaction. Because the distance between the thalamus and the amygdala, which you'll remember are both within the mammalian brain. They're on the thumb. Yes, they are on the thumb. Is so small, that reaction gets tripped very quickly. And it's kind of almost pre-programmed. So it's based on associations and experiences that we've had. I forget who the researcher is, but he trained a baby to be afraid of rats. And then he generalized that to being afraid of white things because it was a white rat. Watson. John yes. Watson. So Is he who's no, that was uh Skinner's the one who did all of the like uh other baby experiments. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He Skinner did um, baby experiments with the Skinner box. Right. Um of walking across uh, the class. Object permanence. Right. Yeah. Um that was operant behavioral or operant conditioning, and Watson was classical conditioning. Right. Which is uh, also famously Pavlovian, right? Yeah. Pavlov did classical conditioning, correct. But not to babies. Right. No, he did it to dogs. Right. Who's letting these people do these experiments on babies? Hey, this was hey. pre-ethics, man. Yeah. This was, this was a long time ago. Anyway, so Watson convinced baby Albert to be afraid of rats via ringing a loud bell and startling the child when the rat was present. Eventually, baby Albert generalized this to white animals. And so when presented with a white rabbit was equally startled, right? And that's all his amygdala response. And the thalamus taking in the perception of white animal, expecting loud startling noise and preemptively feeling anxious. And where did baby Albert end up in life? That's an excellent question. I've never really looked it up. I genuinely hope that he was an okay human being, but who knows? Because that was a very different era in psychological research, which we oh, won't get into on this episode. And we don't actually know who he is because Albert is a pseudonym. Right. Of course. He was always <laughs> referred to as little Albert. Right. You know, as, as this hit the papers and right. uh, anything other than regular psychological publications. All of this was pre-ethics, though. Understand that psychology ethics really didn't click in until the 60s, 50s and 60s. Yep. So the other version or the other link of anxiety is called top-down. So that is taking the perception through the cortex, which you'll remember has that higher functioning, the logic, the reasoning, and it puts a meaning to something that then transfers to the amygdala to have a type of response. So this is kind of more your emotional reactions. It's understanding and interpreting a situation. So if you take optical illusions, like the duck-rabbit thing, where you can see either a duck or a rabbit or both, that taps into your cortex for understanding what the visual stimuli is. Make sense? 
Yeah, but the duck rabbit is not supposed to cause anxiety, right? Correct. But it's part of, so that's an example of the thalamus taking in information, not knowing what it is and using the cortex to reason through what is this. Okay. Got it. Solid. The cortex itself can also initiate anxiety, but it cannot create anxiety. Anxiety is only created through the amygdala because that's again, the body response. What if you just chopped out the amygdala? Then you wouldn't feel anything. Ever, oh. and well, you wouldn't die. have any emotions. You probably wouldn't have any memories and you wouldn't have any reactions to stuff around you. So you would likely just jump off a cliff because you could. Okay. No fear. Well, don't do that, listener. <laughs> I don't think anyone Not would a solution to anxiety. Noted. Correct. The cortex also does this great thing where it anticipates situations. So your right hemisphere engages with images Your left hemisphere engages with words and will worry and ruminate. And then thoughts or images that you associate with being scary or anxious trigger the amygdala into action. And then all of a sudden you're feeling anxiety. So, for example, the words we need to talk trigger anxiety because your brain (laughs) associates that very innocent phrase with Things that are scary and anxiety provoking. Got it. That makes sense. Cool. Your cortex, luckily, responds really well to education, logic, and arguments. That's the smart part of the brain. That's the human part of the brain. Right. So it's the part that that has language, can uh, have ideas, can organize information. Mm -hmm. Right. And can challenge those anxious reasons and make it so that the amygdala either responds less or doesn't respond at all. Got it. Basically, a lot of the CBT, actually, I think all of CBT goes through the cortex. That is what you're accessing when you go through cognitive behavioral therapy. The way it is viewed, the way I write it out on my board, is the event happens, you interpret the event, and you have a reaction. And this happens at different speeds. And just as I don't want to interrupt too much, but that order is for CBT as opposed to like with the rabbit, where it was coming from the bottom. This is top down, right? The thing you were talking about. Yes. As opposed to bottom up where the order would be different. It's like event, reaction, interpret. Yes, exactly. Because the reaction happens so quickly that it doesn't go to the cortex first. Exactly. Yep, that's it. Okay. Perfect. So can you use CBT to deal with things where that reaction is happening so quickly? Or do you need other techniques for that? So... After the fact, you go back and interpret what happened, right? And then you can expose your therapy, basically. Logic your way through. Mm. When I'm seeing this thing, it's not actually that anxiety-provoking or it's not anxiety-provoking at all. So you sort of force it to stop having the reaction until after the interpretation. Correct. Interesting. The way that I've been explaining this to the little kids that I've been working with is your cortex is like the boss level of Super Mario, which for the record, I had to explain to a child what Super Mario was, and that was kind of depressing. You felt old, didn't you? Oh, God. (laughs) Terrifyingly old. With this particular metaphor, your negative or anxious thoughts are Bowser, who has taken Peach, your positive thoughts hostage. Mario is your logical thinking, 
which can fight Bowser. And it's supported by Toad, Daisy, Yoshi, all of his characters, which are the different people and different skills that you have to be able to fight your negative thoughts. And then Mario challenges negative and anxious thoughts by sending neutral or logical thinking out to destroy him and rescue your positive thinking peach. Okay, you do know now that when you're anxious in the future, I'm going to say, use your Mario. (laughs) Technically, the tool that I've been using is the Fire Flower. Because Ah, I like shooting fireballs of logical thoughts. There you go. How do you feel about that? I mean, I like Mario. I know who Mario is. Good. I like positive peach. That's cute. That's a good good metaphor. Thanks. I used it with a 60-year-old woman recently, and she got super hype about Mario with me. A six-year-old woman? 60-year-old. Oh, I, I misheard you. I feel like you've almost sort of answered this already, but how do we apply... CBT in our lives? So we can apply this in our lives in a number of ways. You can go to therapy and learn about this and go through it with a therapist, which is one of the more approachable ways because then you have someone who's walking you through the steps while you're going through them. But understand that this is you taking charge of your perception of the world around you, personal responsibility, understanding how your brain is interacting with the world. Questions that you can ask yourself. When I behave like this, what response do I hope for from others? When I behave like this, what am I thinking about myself, the other person, and the situation? When I behave like this, what am I feeling about myself, the other person, and this situation? You have to be honest with yourself, (laughs) Uh, but you may also discover how this behavior makes sense to you, even if it's not achieving the outcome you desire. And that's a really important point. Because all behavior happens for a reason. The reason just may not be in your current situation. The reason may be historical. And it's no longer present, so the behavior no longer fits. And it's important to peel those things apart. Also, this goes back to Papa's favorite question to ask me when I was a child. How is this behavior helping you? No, I said, how's that working for you? Fair. (laughs) Regardless, the answer is still, I don't know, and it's not, but I'm doing it anyway. Yeah, you know, what's funny is that that is your initial answer, but you go and think about those things and you you actually figure out, oh, this is what's going on. Right. Not always, and it's not always evident to us why we're engaging in the behavior. Sometimes it takes a long time, like we were mentioning in the last episode. Right. And this isn't all anxiety, right? This can apply to other things. Yes. Any negative thought pattern can be applied to with this. You can also develop positive thought patterns using this. I want to circle back, though, to a key element that you pointed out, Ben, that breath is a key portion of calming yourself. Mm. Breath is really important, and the vagus nerve is really important. The vagus nerve, as Kim was mentioning, is the longest nerve that we have. It's the 10th cranial nerve, and it enervates lots of things in your body. I'm sorry, it does what now? Enervates, provides electrical stimulus. Signal, okay. To lots of different places in your body. It does, it, it, and I see, and, and nerve, it has nerve in it. It does what nerves do. Enervate, it, yes. It, it's a nerve that nerves your body. That's right. That's what you're telling me. That's what I'm telling I'm you. I'm just bringing it down to the Ben level <laughs> for the, the ben for level. the good listener. <laughs> to the lower course. So, I got my thumb brain and I got my vagus nerve and we're nerving the brain with the big nerve with the big and the nerve. breathing. So this vagus nerve um, hits your voice box. It hits your diaphragm. It hits your stomach. 
All of that. I mean, think about how far down into your body that goes. And when you're anxious, you often notice that your stomach gets tight, your lungs feel tight, you're choked off, your, your throat is, is closing. All of that is that vagus nerve being highly stimulated. And one of the ways to, to relax it is to deep breathe. So when the diaphragm starts moving, the vagus nerve has to be involved. And when you expand your lungs and you bring breath in, you slow all that stimulation down. You calm that vagus nerve. And that's a really important thing. If you're an anxious person or suffer from anxiety from time to time, use your breath. Deep breath in, deep breath out. Deep breath in, deep breath out. And on another note, <laughs> we're now selling meditations as done by Dr. Acevedo. <laughs> do you know how many people ask for that? A lot, I'm certain. Yeah, a lot do. And as you get into that space, you can feel your body relax and release the tension. Uh, and that's all related to that vagus nerve. Science. Cool. I made the mistake of looking up the vagus nerve and now I see a lot of anatomy things and it's stressing me out. So I'm going to take a deep breath and close <laughs> this, this tab. Today we covered what CBT is, what it's for, and some basic brain anatomy. We also talked about how to apply it in day-to-day -day life. Although if you're really struggling with anxiety, it's probably worth seeking out an expert to help you learn and practice the techniques. We hope you found this episode helpful and interesting. If you have any questions about brains or suggestions for future episodes, drop us a message at questions at afpsych.com. And if you want to support the show, go leave us some stars on iTunes. See you next time and enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azavidofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. And may the sun shine warm upon your face. Mm -hmm.